What is up, everybody? Thank you so much for tuning in to Just Talking with Steph Iliff. I am so excited for this podcast and to be bringing it to you every single week to be just talking about all the things that life has to offer us, right? I'm hoping that I can bring you some insights, some laughter, some amazing interviews with some awesome powerhouses who have let go of fear, who have totally stepped into themselves, who are living their best life so you can learn from them. I want to be talking to you every single week as well about different things that are going on in my life as a self-love coach, as a mom, as a woman, as someone who is dating and like the whole dating scene and how it's so important that we date with self-love so we don't ruin our own self-love, how to create, you know, amazing habits that truly stick with you for a lifetime so you become your best self, so you can become your inner powerhouse and how to just let go of fear and fully step into you. So every week I'm going to be bringing you different topics that align with that, different interviews with different amazing people. And we're just going to be talking about it and having the best time. So thank you so much for joining in to Just Talking with Steph Island. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in to Just Talking with Steph Iliff. And I am so excited to announce my guest speaker today, Drew Dudley. He is so amazing, like seriously, the most amazing man of all time. He has motivated me in so many ways. He has taught me the basic forms of leadership and how to make it so easy and yet so inspiring and how to make sure that you're always being a student, always being a teacher, and that you're truly helping people find their best selves and being a, the best leader they can be, and how you're sharing the best moments of the lessons that you've been given as a leader, as a mentor, and anything like that, and you can help people see the gift through that. And I found Drew through, I'm obsessed with TED Talks. I started watching his TED Talks, and it literally changed my life. It's something that I... If you have ever worked with me or worked for me, you know you've watched this a thousand times because this man speaks pure gold. He is amazing. He gives you truth bombs and he helps you learn and see something bigger. And that is why he is the Wall Street Journal's best-selling author and speaker because he is the bomb.com. And you guys get to hear from him today about leadership and just about his life experiences. So, Drew, thank you. Bless you. I'm so excited to get to talk to you today. Well, Steph, you've officially intimidated me with my own introduction there. So I feel like absolutely everything I say in the rest of this podcast uh, is just not going to live up to that. So I'm, I'm terrified now. I'm going to maybe lean over and, and uh, pour a drink and, and just try not to let everybody down. <laughs> no way will you let anybody down. Like you have truth bombs all the time and you're just, you're just you. And like, that's the best thing that you can possibly be. So I just love it. Uh, I've, I've never been referred to as the bomb.com. <laughs> it's a new day. Pretty good. So I want a t-shirt that says. your bio if you want. Just put it underneath. I will put that. I added that for you. And I like that. Yeah. I'm just going to rock a t-shirt that says the bomb.com. As I walk into rooms, I want people to know. Yes. I'll make you a t-shirt and I will send it to you that says I am the bomb.com if you want. I love it. I love it. Consider it done. Consider it done. Um, so first, so tell me about your experience of being on TED Talks and like what made you want to do that? How did you get on there? What was like your whole experience with all of that? You know what? I always wanted to be. My experience with TED is an interesting one because I kind of got dragged into it kicking and screaming. I had no idea what TED was. I guess it was back in 2009 or 2010. I got an email. I was the coordinator of the leadership program at the University of Toronto at the time. And one of my students sent me an email that said, you have to watch this. And then six exclamation marks afterwards. <laughs> and my only reaction to it was to respond to him by saying, 
do not use six exclamation marks. You are a grown up, no more than two. Uh, really, as long as he doesn't use the number two as a word, that was a victory for me with my students at the time. Uh, but I didn't really watch it. I mean, life was busy. You know, you've got a 20 year old sending you a link to something. And I just let it sit there until, you know, one night you stay late at work and you're trying to empty out your inbox. And I was guilty. I didn't want to actually put it, you know, file it away without watching. And so I clicked on this link and up came Ted, uh, sorry, up came, uh, oh my God, I'm blanking on his name right now. Mm -hmm. uh, Ken, Ken, um, Ken Robinson's Do Schools Kill Creativity? Mm -hmm. And I had never heard of Ted before. I watched this talk. And it was this unbelievable moment where I realized, oh my God, I'm not the only one. Mm -hmm. I am not the only one who looks at education this way, who feels this way about education. If you haven't seen this TED Talk, it may be the most popular one of all time yeah, by views. And I was just blown away. So I, like you said, just got obsessed with this website that was filled with gold. And I guess this was the earliest stages of it too. This was early on when it went online. And I was obsessed with it. And I started using these various videos in my leadership workshops, in my classes at the university. And my students sort of started to make it a joke, like, which one of these do we have to watch today so Drew doesn't have to do any work in front of the room? <laughs> and okay. sure enough, that same student busts into my office, I don't know, six, eight months later. And he says, you know, there's a TED conference here in Toronto. You should speak. And I had enjoyed doing workshops and being in front of groups of people a lot. But I said to him, no, no, I'm just a part-time speaker. Mm -hmm. And the problem was that with all of my students, I had always harped on the damage of the word just and how I thought it was such an incredibly limiting word and how every time you use the word just to describe who you are, or what you do, you're basically giving people permission to expect less from you. And the problem is I had said that so many times to my students that when I tried to slip one in unconsciously in front of them, they were having none of that shit. And they were just like, you're not allowed to say you're just anything, blah, blah, blah. But I think I was afraid. I think I was worried that, you know, to these students, yeah, I was a dynamic speaker, but in my own little world, I was a pretty good speaker. But this was a whole other realm, right? Totally. And so I was really resistant. And uh, without my knowledge, my students organized a nomination drive. And apparently what happened was many other speakers had, had one or two nominations. But when I spoke to the organizer, when they called me, he said 40 different people had nominated me as a speaker for this event. And yeah. this was back when I think maybe there was only a dozen TEDx events. This was early on, 2009, 2010. And sure enough, I decided to leave my job. I quit. I was sitting in uh, my apartment with everything packed up, waiting for 1-800-GOT-JUNK to show up, free promo, and throw out half of my stuff as I started this new phase in my life as a, as a consultant and speaker. And I got the call saying, would you like to, to do this talk at TEDx Toronto? And uh, I was just thrilled. I was a lifetime dream come true to give one of these talks. Well, no, it wasn't lifetime. I'd learned about it a year and a half ago. But, you know, uh, by that point, it was sort of like one of these big things I wanted to do in life. And uh, they said, you got six minutes. And I said, as you probably noticed by my answer to this question, I cannot introduce myself in six minutes. Uh, I, I like to talk. And uh, I didn't know what to talk about. And uh, I said, yes, of course. And then I hung up the phone and said, 
what the heck am I going to do in six minutes? I called up my best friend and said, I don't know what to say. And he said, that story, you have one story that you tell that encapsulates how you view leadership and you need to tell it. And it's that story about lollipops. And I remember saying to him, I cannot tell that story. This is a TED event. And that story is about lollipops and it doesn't have enough gravitas. <laughs> and he paused and left that long gap. And then he said, you need to get over yourself, you jackass. Yes. And I said, what do you, he said, that story is the number one thing that you tell people that sticks with them, that matters. And it's all about the idea that we have made leadership into something so big and so complex and so intimidating that most people who are leaders aren't willing to call themselves leaders. That's your message. And now when the opportunity to have the biggest stage of your life and the, maybe the biggest audience you'll ever have, you're not going to tell the story because it doesn't make you sound smart enough. Mm. He said, that is exactly the opposite of what the story is about. And you need to get over yourself. You need to never use the word gravitas around me again, you arrogant jackass. <laughs> and you need to get on stage and tell this silly little story about lollipops and leadership. And that's how it all really began is I did not, I was intimidated to stand in front of those three big letters that said Ted, and I almost didn't tell the story that in many ways has led to a lot of the opportunities that I have here. And it was my students who pushed me to do something I was afraid to do. And it was my best friend who called me out on my bullshit that actually ended up, uh, you know, playing a big role in, in being able to do the things I do today, to be asked to do podcasts and, and things like that. And so it, it really does reinforce my whole idea of leadership, which is most of the leadership on the planet comes from people who don't see themselves as leaders because all of the accolades and the luck that I've had as a result of that talk only happened because people who cared about me would not allow me to diminish myself and push me to try to do something that, that scared me. And, and that's honestly, I think why I ended up on this podcast. I love it. Oh, that is so beautiful. I love, I just love what you just did there. You painted the whole picture of how you had to get over your fears to do it. You had to have someone just totally call you out and push you and be like, no, you're going to go do it. This is what you're destined for. Get over yourself, go make it happen. And by getting over yourself, it's realizing that you have a higher purpose, right? Like who cares if maybe you feel stupid or you're a little bit afraid or whatever it is, but like your story is so meant to share with other people because what is that story going to do? Like what's that domino effect? What's that lollipop effect for everybody else? Right. And like, what if you never did do that? Like, where would you be at today, you know? And I think so many people have these moments where they get this opportunity or this chance, but they let fear win instead of just like letting fear be like their motivation and they go for it and they make it happen and they just, they go and flow because I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but when you like talk in front of people, sometimes do you just kind of like black out for a second? And you're like, I actually have no idea what I just said. But like, you know, it was meant to be said because it just like, you're just with your, you're being exactly who you're supposed to be in that moment. And you're just letting it flow for you. And those are the best moments, you know, I don't know. Do you ever experience that? I do. And what's interesting is the concept of getting over yourself. That's what they yeah. said. But I think what we realized is that you don't actually get over yourself. Uh, you get over the fake self for the, you get over your bullshit. Because actually what you're not doing is you're not getting over yourself. You're getting over the stuff that's making you afraid of being yourself. Or I guess sometimes it's you're getting over the stuff that's making you afraid of being different than what you are now. 
So it's weird. You're not actually getting over yourself. In many ways, you're getting closer to what you could be. And it's not yourself that's standing in your way. I'm trying not to sound cheeseball here, but it's uh-huh. that stupid little version of you that doesn't like you very much. Yes. And, and that's, that's what you're getting over is you're getting over the version of you who isn't a big fan of you. Mm. And yeah, I mean, there's times, you know, I'll take some time off of speaking when I get pretty empty. And this, you know, I've been off for almost seven and a half weeks now after 10 months when my book came out, we did a hundred engagements in 10 months. Dang. And I was just, absolutely spent and you know you i used to be 300 pounds and now i've dropped back down i dropped back to 200 and then i go on tour i'm so proud of you oh well thank you i'm blushing now and but i i put like 35 pounds back on and it's not even the weight the numbers i i shouldn't use numbers but i felt lousy about you know the fact that i spent 10 months on the road just you know eating fast food and airport crap and so i said okay i'm gonna take two months off before going back to work and it's been amazing. I've basically been training. It's like a season, right? You've got a 10-month speaking season. And then I took two months off to sort of do your off-season training. But what happens is I can't wait to go back to work now. And the way the work world is structured is so moronic in many ways. And that here, here's two weeks of vacation every year. Yeah. And by the time you actually feel as if you are taking care of yourself on vacation, it's time to go back to work. And so what most of us don't get the chance to do, and which I did not seize the opportunity to do, is to step away from work for long enough that I can't wait to go back. Not because I have to go back because there's so much work to do or it's piling up or I'm scared. You know, Because some of us are like, oh, I'm going back to work after vacation because if I don't, I'm screwed for the next two months. Right. I actually step, I've stepped away now long enough that I can't wait to get back on the road. But And you have to rehearse to get back to your flow of speaking on a stage because you have to honor the hour out of people's lives they're giving you. But what you just described, that moment where you don't want, I want to go back on stage just rough enough that two or three times an hour, I'm going to get lost and not remember what comes next because it's in those two or three moments where you panic a little and can't remember exactly what you're supposed to say that you end up saying something pretty awesome. But when I say supposed to, you, you, you don't remember what you had planned to say, but you end up saying something that is better than whatever the plan would have been. And I think that leaving enough gap in our lives for uncertainty is what does generate those really cool moments where it's not your mind, uh, it's not your plans that take over. It's the skills and the wisdom and the insights that you've gained that, that just sort of take over and fill in the spots your plan don't. And I think that we get so worried of looking stupid uh, that we actually don't leave a lot of space in our lives for uncertainty, a little space in our lives where we might look dumb. Mm-hmm. Uh, we cover those up and we try to avoid them. But often it's where the greatest insights happen. There's, if anybody wants to watch the TED Talk in question, which is called Everyday Leadership or the Lollipop Moment, yes. there's a section there where I actually forget what I was going to say. And if you watch the video, you'll discover I'm incredibly nervous because I'm, I'm speaking at 100 miles an hour. But there's only one section in that talk that wasn't rehearsed. And I completely blanked. And I repeated a joke that had been told two days before that was, we live in a world where we celebrate birthdays, where all you have to do is not die for 365 yeah. days and you get a cake. And we walk around letting people who have made our lives better and we don't tell them that. Yeah, And that's the only part of that talk that wasn't planned to like 
like rehearsed to an inch of its life. And it's the part that, mo that got the biggest laugh and that most people repeat to me. And so I think it's really important to leave space in our lives for us not to have a plan, but to make sure that we create the type of person where we have enough skills, insight and confidence that we don't have to have everything planned, that we have confidence that something that will generate what we need in that moment. And I think it's not important to be perfect. It's important to be the type of person who can deal with your imperfections in the moment in a way that, that you're confident about and feel good about. Because what it does, is it leaves open, man, we got to leave space for serendipity in our lives because it's in those serendipitous moments that the coolest things happen, right? But that means having the confidence to know that you don't have to have everything planned. If I could go back to day one and talk to like Drew Dudley on the first day of college, I'd say one, don't drink. Uh, it's really, it costs too much and socially and, and uh, financially, but two, become comfortable with uncertainty, man, because yeah. it's a lot better. It's a lot better to be decisive than certain in life because you can be decisive, but it's really hard to ever be certain. So you spend most of our lives trying to figure out how we can be certain. Don't like leave room for serendipity. It just makes for really good moments. Totally. Right. And I love how you said it's having that self-confidence in yourself for those moments for sure. Because I think, and for me personally, self-confidence that is built by constantly building my mind every single day so that I can be confident in whatever question someone may ask me or what I'm going to say on a stage or whatever I'm going to do because I'm constantly building into my craft. So it's like, you don't always have to have everything rehearsed. It's like whatever's supposed to come up will come up too. But it's doing that daily routine and being consistent about it and making the commitment day in and day out. And that's even something that you've adopted for you, for yourself, is that every single day make the commitment to yourself. And that helps you with your sobriety, with your weight loss, with your success. And I just love that, that concept because it's such, like, I love how you make, so, like, hard concepts so simple because people think it's so hard to be what you want to be in life or to be a public speaker or to lose weight or to get over an addiction or anything like that. But really, it's just these simple concepts of just showing up day in and day out and being consistent about it. Um, and even like with leadership, right? It's the same thing. Like you don't have to have a title to be a leader. It's just showing up and doing it day in and day out. And that's what's so important. Um, so talk to me a little bit about your whole concept of just taking it day by day and making the commitment daily and how that's really changed your life. Cause I think that's so impactful and it's so easy to understand it's just one day at a time like what how can we be best self today and going for that so would you mind talking about that sure before i do that there's two things okay and 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 i'm not and i and i, I always hesitate to, to say this because i don't want anyone to think that i am saying they're wrong or disagreeing with them totally. but here's some food for thought because you yeah. said you know have two things have the confidence you're talking about having self-confidence and then also you know that the way things are supposed to be. Mm -hmm. So a couple things. One, confidence is a crock. Okay. And, and I think that a lot of people beat themselves up because they don't think they have confidence. Mm -hmm. Confidence is way overrated. Confidence is way over-focused. And what it does, is it makes people who don't feel confident, which is the vast majority of the really big dynamic change makers in this world, oh, think there's something wrong with them. Mm -hmm. Confidence is acting like something doesn't scare you. All right. In some cases, it's actually convincing yourself something doesn't scare you. But 
that means that you can be confident and never have to do anything to prove it, right? Because it's just acting or convincing yourself that that's not scary. It's actually courage that we have to focus on. And courage doesn't need confidence. Confidence is acting like something doesn't scare you. Courage is acknowledging something scares you and then doing it anyway. And that is what so many of us are capable of doing. You know, am I capable of five seconds of extraordinary courage right now? It doesn't matter if every single second up until the moment you do it, you doubt completely your ability to do it. All that matters is whether in that five seconds you can actually say, am I capable of five seconds of extraordinary courage? Because the answer for everyone to that question is yes. Now, I'm not saying you have the courage to deal with what happens five minutes from now or tomorrow or five years from now as a result, but every one of us in any given five seconds can do it. And I think that recognizing that means that you don't have to beat yourself up if 99.9% of your life you don't think you can, as long as in the point one you do. And that doesn't mean you have to, you don't have to prove, you don't have to go around feeling or telling yourself you can, you just have to make sure that you create the type of person that is, that is aware enough that what, if something goes wrong, you'll be able to deal with it. And if you don't that, if you build that strength up, if you give yourself evidence of that, then you don't have to worry about confidence because you will have the courage in that moment. Because most of the most courageous people I know aren't particularly confident. The other piece, I just want to be able to, people to make that distinction. Well, I'm not courageous I because I don't, yeah, I, I don't feel confident. Like, I'll tell you, the most courageous people, like right up until the moment they do it, they are utterly convinced they can't. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. But confidence is actually, most people work on their confidence for other people, right? So that other people see them as confident as opposed to working on your courage, which you only have to prove to yourself. The other one too is that, you know, things are their ways they're supposed to be. And I, I get that when people, it's like the phrase, everything happens for a reason. Yeah. And I get why people say that because what they're trying to do is to acknowledge that sometimes when bad things happen, that if you get through that, good things actually happen on the other side of it. But the idea that some things, things happen for a reason indicates causation, which is this bad thing happened so that the good thing would happen. Mm-hmm. Not the case. Uh, one of my favorite television shows is The West Wing. Okay, my favorite television show is The West Wing. And in one of the early episodes, they use a phrase that I, really embedded itself in my brain that said, post hoc ergo propter hoc, which is Latin for happened after, therefore because of. And it's a big mistake that we make in our lives. A happens and then B happens. So B must be because of A, not the case. And it's that everything happens for a reason. So something bad happens and then you get through it and then something positive happens afterwards. And then people say, see, it was all part of a bigger plan. Things were supposed to be a certain way. There is no reason for anything. There are reasons for everything. True. And but we assign we, those reasons ourselves, right? Like we attach like the emotion or the, anything to that ourselves because nothing really has meaning until we decide that meaning, right? Yeah, and I think part of it, it makes us feel more comfortable if we can point at the one thing that caused another thing. Yeah. But I think what's important, what, what I'm trying to, to let people know is that I like the sentiment, which is if you get through a really difficult time, there can be good things that come out the other side 
What I don't like about the phrase, everything happens for a reason, is that what it does is it then removes your agency. It, it doesn't give you credit for the most important part, getting through the difficult time. Because what you're effectively saying is there was some sort of grander master plan that was going to unfold no matter what. And so your strength, your patience, and your perseverance was irrelevant. My point is that everything happens for a reason. Yeah, you're the reason. Your patience, your strength, and your perseverance is why this good thing was possible. But when we say everything happens for a reason and we attribute it to some cosmic force, what you're doing is you're taking away all the credit that you deserve and you're attributing it to some power beyond yourself. Mm -hmm. And I think what that does is it denies us the evidence that we need later on to get through our difficult, our next difficult point, because mm -hmm. it basically says, well, you had nothing to do with this. Now, I am not saying that, you know, there is no higher power that, you know, I'm not trying to insult anyone who, who believes in something bigger than us. The only thing I know about God is that I know nothing about God or the universe, right? Mm -hmm. But what I am saying is if there is a higher power out there, they don't reach down and solve your problems for you they give you the power to do it for yourself. Because I don't know what to believe, and I'm not saying anybody's right or wrong, but I am saying that the phrase, everything happens for a reason, I think is disempowering. Because it says you are a passive force in this universe that has no impact on what happens. So, everything happens for a reason? Sure, you're the reason. Your strength, your power, your perseverance, because you need to give yourself credit for that because the next time something bad happens, you deserve the right to remember how you got through it last time. Because I'll, I'll look at it and I know that we haven't even gotten to leadership yet, but you have dealt with every single problem you have ever faced because you're still here. Yep. Now you, you might not be happy with how you dealt with it. You might be pissed at how you dealt with it. You might have scars from how you dealt with it, but you have survived every problem you have ever faced because you were still here. And you should give yourself credit for that. But we don't. And what happens is the next time something difficult happens, we instinctively go, I can't get through this. But I don't understand that because there is absolutely zero empirical evidence that you can't get through it because you've never actually failed before. And yet we immediately assume that we can't. So two things that, that I was trying to get at there. One, nothing is meant to be. However, how you choose to behave and the skills you develop to allow you to adapt, those things in large part determine how likely it is that good things will come for you. But there is no predetermined way the world is supposed to work. And looking at it that way removes all of your agency and we shouldn't do that. And the other one is you don't need confidence to go through life, but you do need courage. Now that I've done that entire rant, what was the question again? <laughs> oh, you're good. I love that. And I love, I love how you describe that about courage because Courage really is what gives you like that self-confidence and it helps you, like you said, it helps you with the story to, to tell yourself, to give yourself the evidence that you can do something hard yet again because you've already done it and you've already proven to yourself you can do it time and time and time again. And it, those, those are the little moments for yourself that can even be like your own little lollipop moments that give you your own inner belief because it's like you have to believe in yourself enough to be able to jump and like to have the courage to be able to jump. And for me, so I quit my, I had a 10 year career being a VP of a finance company. And I knew that I was meant, I wanted to be a coach. I wanted to help people find like self love and self confidence. And, like I wanted to teach them that like all you need is already within you. You just got to. And when I quit my job and I 
went in to talk to my CEO. I was like, hey, here's my month's notice. I'll finish all my projects. I'll make sure everything's taken care of. But I have to leave. I have to jump. Like, I have to make this happen because it is within me. It's all that I can think about. And he's like, okay, cool. He's like, so do you have like a client? Do you have like all these, like, do you have like this whole business plan? Do you have all this stuff? I'm like, no, I just know I have to do it. And if I don't jump now, I'm going to keep talking myself out of it. And he's like, wow, like I'm 67 years old and you finally taught me what courage really looks and feels like. I'm like, I just taught myself what courage feels like. <laughs> like when you say that, I like wrote went back to that spot and I'm like, you know what? That was the most pivotal moment of my life for me was because I was like, I don't, I don't have it figured out, but I know that I'm going to figure it out because like this moment is for me and I'm going to do it no matter what. And like, and every time that I keep getting into these moments where I'm like, oh shit, I don't know if I can do this. Or like that voice goes off my head that says like, oh, you're not qualified enough. You're not smart enough. You're not this, whatever it is. I go back to that moment of that courage. And I say, you can do anything. You just did that, you know, like, so thank you for just teaching me that in a, in a different way of a lesson. So. Well well, it's weird to the way you just said that made me think of something that, you know, courage actually can't be understood in the abstract. I think maybe courage can only be learned yes. through action, right? Like courage, you, you can only learn courage by practicing it. Yeah. You can't actually talk yourself into it. And I think the phrase that you just said, believing in yourself got me thinking. So thank you for that. Yes. The idea that believing in yourself doesn't mean or self-confident oh there's confidence believing in yourself doesn't mean that you believe that you can do it mm -hmm. it means that you believe that you're okay if you can't yeah and, and what i mean by that is that for me i think one of the biggest changes in my life wasn't trying to become the type of person who is confident or, or uh, who believes that he can do it yeah. i think what really set me free was when I started to believe that all the stuff that I fail at, all the stuff that I can't do, all the stuff I didn't plan for and blow up in my face, yeah. I believe I'm the type of person who can deal with the fact that it blew up in my face. Totally. And I think we, we spend a lot of time trying to build ourselves into someone who can do it mm -hmm. as opposed to building ourselves into someone who really deals with the fact we can't effectively. So we're someone who will try, and we are someone who turns out we can't or we'll screw it up or we're not ready yet. Yep. But believing in yourself knows believing in the person who's going to be able to get back up as Ooh. opposed to, because if you believe in the person who can get back up, you don't actually have to believe you can do it before you'll try. If Absolutely. believing in yourself in your mind means I have to believe I can do it, you'll often never do it. So it's really about believing in the person who is capable of handling crap as opposed to believing in the person who manages to avoid crap. If that makes any sense whatsoever. No, it totally does. Because it's, that's what's true is like so many things that we do, we're not sure that we really can do it or it's actually going to work. But you're like, I don't care. I'm just going to, I know that I can try. I know what I, I'm capable of trying no matter what. And I know that I'll give it a hundred percent no matter what. And that's like the win that that's, that is all that you need to try to, to do. And if you fail, it's not really failure. It's like, okay, how do I get better? What was the lesson? What was the gift in this? What do I, how can I change? How can I grow? And it's seeing that. And like, that's the beauty of life is when you try, not only do you find more courage within and more inner strength, more inner grit and like perseverance, but you get, you, you get to retell yourself a new story. You're like, well, you've tried this a million, a million things and you still never gave up. And so it teaches you just like, just try, just go for it. Just jump. Like, you got to see what you're capable of. You're never going to know unless you try. And I can, it's kind of like, it's not about, I can believe, I believe it. It's more like, 
I can survive this. Yes. I think the I can thrive I think, through this, not just survive. Like I can thrive through this and like, I can make it happen no matter what, because like it's, it's survive. It's not just surviving. It's like, there's a lesson in all of it and it just makes you be better. Like, I don't know. That's the way I see it at least. But. I, I guess it's like, it's more important. Sorry. I'm really enjoying this because I, and I've, it sounds like I'm thinking out loud. I am. It's really it, about, it's more about believing in your resilience than it is believing in your talent yeah. because that's a harder lesson, but it's one that is invaluable. So if you're out there like worried that you're going to screw up or that you, you're not good enough for this or that, that's okay. I, we all feel that way. Yeah. I, I know everyone hears it, but we really do all feel that way. Totally. So maybe the, the advice I'd leave beyond everything else is worry less about believing in your talents and your strength and worry a lot more about believing in your resilience. Because if you believe in your resilience, it's the very foundation of courage. And, and I guess that became clear to me recently. I mean, with all the stuff I've been lucky enough to do, uh, maybe the perspective I have on life now, maybe this perspective got sped up, but two and a half years ago, uh, I lost the woman I loved to suicide. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the fundamental shifts that occurred as a result of that is that there is a peace and a strength that comes from knowing the worst thing that could ever happen to you has already happened. Mm. And I think knowing that in my life, the biggest fundamental shift that has happened since then is that very little scares me long-term. I like anybody else in the world when faced with the possibility I'm gonna fail or I'm gonna upset someone or I'm gonna get hurt or lose something. I still feel that. I just feel it for a relatively short time yeah. because inevitably what pops into my head was, there is no way that this can be worse than two and a half years ago. There is no way that you can be wounded more than that day two and a half years ago. And if you made it through that, like what the hell else is going to happen here? Like I've survived alcoholism, bipolar, and losing the woman I loved. Yeah. If, if you want to take me down, world, you're going to have to bring some kryptonite at this point. And, yes. and so for me that changed a lot of things in my life. But what it really did is it made me believe in my resilience. It didn't make me believe any more that I was, you know, in my talent, I still have tons of doubts. It didn't make me believe any more in my ability to try new things. I'm still scared all the time. But what I, it did do is it made me incredibly confident in my resilience. Yeah. And I think if you could believe in that, you don't have to believe in anything else if you can believe in your resilience. So it's interesting you said that. I'm glad that we had this conversation because now I got to go home and write something down about that. Absolutely need to do that. That could be like in your next TED Talks is just believe you're resilient and you find your own inner courage. That's just what I wrote down. And like, that's what it is. I don't know. I just, I'm kind of like, just like going off that now because that, that is, I think that's even like with leadership and stuff too, right? To kind of go back to like what your, your craft is. is that yeah, is, are we still on question one, aren't we? Yeah. <laughs> It's just because we're jamming. It's so good. I love it. Like, it's just like when you, people are so afraid to step up and lead too, right? They feel like they have to have like this very specific title that someone has to like knight them. Like, okay, you are now Sir Lancelot and now you can teach all these people all these things and you can go be this amazing leader. It's like, no, like leadership is every day. It's just showing up as that no matter what. You don't need a title to lead. Like just don't be afraid and have like that own courage to teach someone something. And, and life is full of people who want to, 
be taught and who want to be the student and full of times for you to be the student or the teacher. And it's just like knowing those moments and understanding those moments. And for me, I feel like it's part of like emotional intelligence of understanding that. And then like having the courage just to speak up and just to say it. Cause how often do people just not want to speak up? Like, I don't know. So in your experience, do you feel like that's a lot of times why people won't say that they're a leader? Cause like you asked that question in, in a room of CEOs and only what was it like 70% raise their, or like only 30% raise their hand or something, you know, it's like, why are people so afraid to really say they're a leader? Do they feel like once they do that, people expect more from them or they're afraid they're going to expect more from themselves or they don't have the courage to do it. Like what would, what would you say? I know that's like a big question, but. The answer is yes. Okay. To everything you just said. Okay. <laughs> well, I guess let, let's let's look at it this way. Um, okay. Because this is my favorite topic in the world, and let's not ramble for forty minutes through. Okay. Okay. Cool. I guess if we're going to boil down to what my work focuses on, it's this: okay. the vast majority of the leadership on the planet mm -hmm. comes from people who do not think that they are leaders. Mm -hmm. That's it. My goal in all of my work is to close the gap between the number of leaders, impactful leaders on the planet and the number of people who will call themselves leaders. Mm -hmm. There's a gap between those two things. And the gap exists because when you say, I ask a room full of CEOs, how many of you are comfortable calling yourself a leader? It's not 70 and it's not 30. Okay. It's in a room full of CEOs, it'll be less than 10. I've asked the question, how many of you are comfortable calling yourself a leader to over a thousand different audiences and not just CEOs. Uh, yes, there were some CEOs, there were senior executives, but it's also rooms full of people in the public service, yeah. teachers, nurses, students. Thousand times I've asked it less than 1% of the time have more than half the people in the room raise their hands. It averages somewhere between 10 and 20%, no matter what the audience is. And that's all over the world. And the reason for that, the reason people are hesitant to call themselves leaders is because of a psychological phenomena that is, is really true. Whatever example you are given to illustrate a concept first, whatever your first examples are of any new concept that you're given, particularly when you're young, that example shapes the way you think of that concept for the rest of your life. And it also limits the way you think of that concept for the rest of your life. So whatever you're first shown to demonstrate something, that shapes it forever. And it also limits it. So what I encourage anybody who's listening to this to do is let's look at leadership. Let's look at the concept of leader. Think way, way back to how you were taught about it. Because most of the ideas in our lives, we could not, for the life of us, identify how we learned about it. It's just the way that we learn. We, we take it all in. And if you think back to the examples you were given as a kid to demonstrate the concept of leader, for most of us, the examples we were given were giants. They were presidents and scientific groundbreakers. They were people who conquered empires. They were supposedly straight white dudes. And that shapes and limits the way leadership is perceived for most of us for the rest of our lives. And for most of us, the use of giants as those, uh, those initial examples has caused us for most of our lives to diminish the leadership that we demonstrate every day. Mm -hmm. We start to let moments of true leadership pass us by and we don't let ourselves take credit for them and we don't let ourselves feel good about them. And another little psychological human thing, 
the things that make you feel good when you do them are the things that you are driven to do every day. If it feels good, you'll do it more often. Hence, my 300-pound addiction to carbs, because carbs feel good, oh, right? Yeah. If it feels good, you'll do it. Yeah. And so what happens is when we let moments of leadership pass by, and when I say moments of leadership, here's where there's a bit of a difference that I want people to be aware of. When I say moments of leadership, I do not mean moments of charisma or power or extroversion or speech giving or whatever. What I mean are moments of empowerment, moments of compassion, moments of kindness, of impact, of generosity. Those are the most powerfully interpersonal moments that we create. Except we don't call them leadership. What we call them is this little term that we all slip into without being aware of it. We call them the little things. Mm -hmm. It's the little things you do every day that make, that make an impact. Yeah. The thing is, like, think it's if you're listening right. Book too. It's, it's the little things that you do day in and day out. And that's what forms that, you know? And I love that. It's, leadership isn't the big things. It's the consistent things is what you said. Yeah. And that's the whole idea to go back to your original question 25 minutes ago about what day <laughs> one is. <laughs> is that to me, I say leadership is in it is moments of powerful interpersonal impact. Yes. And but because we've been taught that leadership is much bigger than most of us, it has come to most of us see ourselves as not having achieved or acquired the things that society has determined define leaders. Titles like CEOs, like you know, people you see on television, people who we see with power. Most of us don't see ourselves as having those things. And since we've associated those things with leadership, you know. We therefore, by the transitive property, since these things make a leader and we don't have those things, we are not a leader. And I think I just used transitive property incorrectly, but you know, ultimately, what I'm trying to make people realize is that if we reframe what a moment of leadership is yeah. and we make it these simple, not little, simple moments, what we do recognize is that those moments have a much bigger impact on our lives, much bigger impact than the things that these so-called leaders do or any of the listening you know think about okay let's look at the uh, the president is a bad example right now let us look at you know the head of the company you work for yeah to be completely honest most of the shit that person does every day has relatively little impact on your life totally. but the but the person who you who made you smile on the bus this morning the person who makes you laugh every time they they give you a coffee at your favorite coffee shop the yeah. coworker. Uh, who you go to when you're upset or you, you, you're crying at work, the friend who you call when you get your heart broken. The things those people do have a massive impact on your life. But we seem to associate the behaviors of the CEO with leadership much more than those other ones. I think the best way someone wants- a giant that we've always imagined growing up is like, oh, so if you're in this big office, fancy place, and you have this fancy little title in front of you, then you've, you've accomplished something. You've reached the success. You've reached this, like you're worthy that we should listen to you kind of a thing. Well, yeah. that's the case, right? It's like- But those people actually don't matter to us. Like no. they have no impact. Well, let me ask you this. Um, can you name me the last five winners of the Nobel Peace Prize? Uh, no. Can you name me the last five winners of the Pulitzer Prize? No. The last five uh, winners of the Best Actress Oscar? No. So those people- are put at the very pinnacle of their, they're at the very top of their professions. They are the best at what they do. 
And those type of people are the ones who we hold up as leaders. And you don't have their names. You don't even know who the hell they are, yet their life is what leadership is. Now, do you remember, can you tell me the name of a teacher who fundamentally changed the way you thought about something? Yep, her name is Miss Bumblebee, and she was my kindergarten teacher. Her name was Sabrina, if you remember. Your and, name, your kid, her name was Miss Bumblebee? Yeah, Bumblebee. Seriously? Yes. God, and, that's awesome. Right, though? And um, she just, she made me feel like I was so smart. I just remember her, like, everything that I did, like, she just praised me for it. Like, she, oh, like, that was, like, the best macaroni noodle rainbow you could have ever made. I'm like, yeah, it was. Like, yeah, I can do anything. Like, and she just believed in me. And she had this, like, impact on me. And she created this community culture, like, in our little class where we all praised each other for everything that they did. And, like, so we, I learned how to show, like, love and light to everybody that I was around, like just in that classroom. And like, when you praise someone else, how good it feels and like, like genuine praise, like, Hey, I'm so proud of you for this picture, for this drawing or, you know, like it was like all these little things. And it taught me also like friendship with that and like community. And she had a huge impact on my life, you know? Like it's just and has Jeff Bezos ever made you feel like that? Um, no, but he does, and he inspires me to want to be like as amazing as he is, but not in that same way. No, not in that same way. But here's my thing. Why is he amazing? Like Mrs. Ms. Bumblebee, who you just described, that fundamentally changed your life and shaped who you were. And we're like, I want to be as amazing as Jeff Bezos. Yeah. Why? He's never done anything for you directly. How about, can you give me the name of a friend who, when you feel weak, makes you feel strong? Oh yeah, absolutely. My best friend, if I ever have a weak moment, I call her and she builds me up and I am a giant at that point. And I'm like, Oh, I can, why was I even doubting myself? Oh my gosh. That's hilarious. Like, let's go. Like, let's, should I run for president right now? Like, I think I should like, let's, you know, like she just makes me remember all the moments that have made me to that spot, you know? And has Donald Trump ever made you feel like that? Definitely. Okay. So, and I get, but what I hope I'm getting at here is that the things that you know, those people's names and you do yes. not know the names of the last five Nobel Peace Prize winners. Yes. But when we evaluate our leadership, we evaluate it between uh, by holding it up against the la- like what has been accomplished by the Nobel Peace Prize winners and by the top five people on the Forbes Fortune 500 list. But they've done nothing directly that mm-hmm. makes your life different, that has made you feel stronger, that has made you feel better. Yet, Mrs. Ms. Bumblebee and your best friend did. Everything that Ms. Bumblebee, and what was your best friend's name? I'm sorry. Her name's Tasha. Everything Ms. Bumblebee and Tasha did, and the same people that I hope everyone listening to this are thinking about in their own lives, everything they did to make you feel like that, you can do too. Like they, we, the things that Bezos and, you know, Agent Orange do, uh, because the president is still, uh, and if you're pissed at this podcast, you're turning it off right now because I said that. I don't care. Um, don't watch but, it anyway, it's okay. But ultimately, uh, those are the individuals who are put up as the archetypes of leadership. And yet, and we look at, we go, well, we don't have the resources, the abilities to do what they do. That's why they inspire us, at least by mm-hmm. what they've accomplished in their life, if not who they are as people. But all the things that Ms. Bumblebee and, and Tasha, what did you say? Yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, that have done you are capable of doing the exact same behaviors and being that for someone else. And that means that that type of leadership is utterly and completely attainable. And I don't think that it's less than, 
But for some reason, we've been taught and socialized into seeing it as less than. And since it's, we see it as less than, we do not give ourselves the same celebratory rewards for doing it. And as a result, we are not reinforced the same way as doing it the same way we are for doing things that earn money or if you're younger that earn grades. Yeah. And to loop it all the way back around to the whole idea of day one, knowing when I was faced with these brilliant students who made the world better for themselves, for other people who dedicated their time and money to charities, to social justice, to making their communities better and who were remarkable friends to each other. When I was faced with a group of these extraordinary people who refused to acknowledge their leadership at the same level of these individuals they've been socialized to put on a pedestal, I couldn't just tell them to change everything they'd ever been taught. You have to give them a place to start. And at first it was students, and then I realized this is true of, of everyone. You gotta find a place to start because simply telling people that your leadership is at the same level as what you've been taught is bigger than you, your whole life is too big. So you had to start somewhere. And that means you gotta have a day one. And the reason that day one is where I settled on is ultimately because day ones have an inherent commitment, humility, and forgiveness. On day one of anything, you are way gung-ho to do it. You're totally committed. You also know what you don't know. You know that you might not be good enough. And, you know, fear and humility are often the same thing. Like, oh, I'm being humble. Well, no, what you're actually doing is being afraid of being, you know, courageous and then it also is forgiving if you screw up doing something on your first day there's no shame in that everybody does it so you recommit and so that forgiveness that humility and that commitment is what's necessary to start any new behavior and the day one concept <coughs> excuse me became in many ways for from the things that i was experiencing in my own life a big driver was my battle with alcohol yep and one of the things I discovered when I entered recovery is that if you don't want to have a drink for the rest of your life, you have to choose not to have a drink today. Mm. And then you have to treat every day of the rest of your life as if it is your first day of recovery. Because committing to doing anything every day for the rest of your life, particularly something that you are addicted to doing, is too scary. Like what? if I made your brain can't actually even conceive that your brain's like, no. well, you want me to do this for the rest of my life. Your brain actually doesn't understand that, no. but your brain can understand a shorter period of time, which I, is why I love this concept is your brain can totally understand just today and do how it. to do it just today, right now in this moment. And like to keep that commitment all day long, recommit, or if you mess up for one second, it's just going back and recommitting. And it's like learning that self-discipline. That also teaches you that courage, that grit, that resiliency. So you're like, I did it for day one, but I did day one for 75 days. And then it turned into a year and then two years. And it's, but it's that one step and your brain and you can understand that. And it's easier to stay committed to just day one versus I need to lose a hundred pounds and it's going to take me two years to do it. Like that just becomes too big and you can't even achieve it or conceive it in your mind, you know, but yeah, day one is. Day one helps you not be intimidated by the future and not become complacent because of the past. Love like, it. I, I, you know, five years of sobriety that I can't yeah. lean on. Oh, thank you. I can't lean on that today because, you know, I didn't have a drink yesterday. I didn't have a drink for five years. That's not to say I won't have one tomorrow or mm -hmm. I won't have one today. And unless I, unless I am willing to not give myself a certain number of out of credit for what I've already done, 
because that makes you be like, oh, well, I've, you know, I've already done it. I can't do that. I, I need to be proud of that, but I can't allow the past to make me complacent about today. And I can't allow the future to make me too scared to behave the way I want to today. And so knowing that the idea that Bezos and uh, Bill Gates and Mark Zuckerberg, I just named a whole bunch of straight white guys, damn it. Uh, but see, that's what, no, but that's what society's done, right? right? Is knowing they're out there makes it really intimidating. I can never get there, so why bother? But the day one leadership philosophy is based on the idea that every single one of us gets up every morning having accomplished the exact same number of leadership behaviors, zero. Which means that if today- We're all on the same plate, we're all starting off fresh. We're all the same every morning. And so each day, your leadership has to be evaluated today, not over where you are in five years today. And the bonus is, if you make a commitment to powerful leadership behaviors daily, and you actually live up to that obligation, what happens over the course of a month or a year is good. It does lead to these bigger things, but you can't evaluate your leadership based on where you are uh, over five years. You have to do it whether or not you did it today. And then that takes care of itself. And the day one leadership philosophy, you know, which is, you know, a step-by-step process we use to do it is ultimately about showing people what those behaviors are for them, because Mm -hmm. it's different for everybody. So what I try to do with my philosophy is one, get people realizing that one, let's just evaluate our leadership on a daily basis by saying there are certain non-negotiable behaviors, like for me, not having a drink is a non-negotiable behavior in my sobriety journey. In my leadership journey, there are certain non-negotiable behaviors that have to happen every day as well. And the day one approach that that I teach is here's how to identify what those behaviors are And then here is a psychologically based process for how to actually engage in those behaviors regularly. Because the day one idea when I was working with these young students, and now I've adapted to work with everyone, is you need a place to start. And so here are the behaviors to make today. There's a certain number of them. And your goal every day is to pass the test. And so what we actually do is we create a series of questions. It's the same questions every day. And you have to get half of them. And if you do that, you pass the test. And the questions are carefully designed. And this is diving a little bit more into the process, of course. But just take my word for it on the surface level. The idea is that in order to answer the questions, you end up engaging in these non-negotiable behaviors. And ultimately, every day, you have a leadership test. There's a certain number of questions. And if you answer the questions, you automatically uh, do these non-negotiable behaviors. And the goal is to answer half the questions every day. And the philosophy is based on the premise that, look, ultimately you're not in control of what you have to do every day. I think that's just an unfortunate reality of the work world. You're not always in charge of what you have to do every day, but you're always in charge of who you are. Mm -hmm. No matter what you have to do, you're in charge of who you are. And so we adopted this philosophy that said, imagine if every single night before you went to bed, you had to prove you deserve another day on this planet. Not at the end of a year, not at the end of a five-year plan, not at the end of your life. You have to prove on a daily basis that you deserve another day one on this planet. And in order to prove that you deserve it, you have to pass a test. Now, the bonus is 
you get the questions for that test in the morning. And if that was the way that life worked, if you knew that you had to pass a test composed of six questions every day to get another day on the planet, those six questions would be non-negotiable. They would not be answered in between meetings or when you had time or after you picked up the kids. They would be the fundamental driving forces of your life. And that, what they do is they would be, they would comprise your to-be list, right? Those six questions are your to-be list. And what that philosophy does is it makes sure that you have to prioritize your to-be list over your to-do list. Mm. And I think if we're really honest with ourselves, most of our lives are driven a lot more by our to-do list than our to-be list. And so the day one philosophy, and I know that you asked this like 40 minutes ago, (laughs) basically says it helps you create your own personalized leadership test Mm. that you try to pass every day. And in the process of passing the test, you will, without a doubt, engage in certain behaviors that are true to who you want to be. And it will close the gap between the person you want to be and how you are actually behaving. And leadership is having a plan and acting on it every day to close the gap between the person you want to be and how you are actually behaving. And if that sounds abstract to people, it's because we're skipping over a lot of the steps of what the process fundamentally teaches and how it applies to you personally. But let me at least give an exa- the example that I use in the book of my my personal leadership test. And the book goes into how I identified these values and how I developed these questions. And it also walks people through how they can identify their own key values and create their own questions. But just to sort of illustrate a specific example of what I just talked about. Every night at the end of the day, every night at the end of the day, yeah. (laughs) At the end of every day. It was, a weird, that was a, it was an accurate sentence, but it was weird. It was, but I loved it. I will probably use it going forward. Well, let's look at it this way. I get up every morning with the philosophy that says, today is day one on my leadership voyage. I'm not going to worry about the fact that I run my own company or I have a bestseller or whatever that is. That's all in the past. Okay. What got me there is getting up every morning and saying, okay, over the course of today, I got six questions that are tied to the six most important values in my life, the things I want to define me as a person. They're not the only values I have, but these are the core that I want to make up my identity. And they are impact, growth, empowerment, class, and self-respect. Yes. And that means over the course of my day, I have to find a way, or I am always seeking a way to answer these six questions. One, for impact, what have I done today to recognize someone else's leadership? Mm. Because you can't do that without creating a really powerful moment. Love it. Two, to tie to growth, what have I done today to make it more likely someone would learn something? That someone could be me. That someone could be someone else. For, uh, for courage, what did I try today that I thought might not work, but I tried it anyway? Yes. I have to have an answer to that by the end of the day. For empowerment, What did I do today to move someone else closer to a goal? Mm. For class, when did I elevate instead of escalate today? Mm. Because leaders elevate situations, which means trying to succeed, instead of escalating them, which means trying to win. And there will be situations every day where you are given the opportunity to escalate the situation. And that three, those three words loop them through your head whenever someone's trolling you in person, online, 
elevate, don't escalate, elevate, don't escalate. And self-respect, what have I done today to be good to myself? And my goal is to get three answers to those questions out of the six every day. And even on the days where everything outside of my control blew up in my face and I had a horrible day, I at least know that I got three of those questions. And the reason that they're questions, just so you like, just as a quick overview, is because questions are a more powerful driver of human behavior than goals are. Because, yeah, we want goals, but we can live without them. We can always come up with a reason. We can always believe that they'll get answered or, or, or we'll move closer to them tomorrow. But psychologically, the brain hates unanswered questions, cannot stand them. Sure. And so this, this whole question approach was born out of a couple of psychological effects. One is called the Zagarnik effect, which the says the Zagarnik effect, okay. which sounds fancy, but you know what it is? It's this. Things on your to-do list that you haven't yet completed take up a more prominent spot in your consciousness than things that you have completed. In Mm -hmm. other words, shit you haven't finished bugs you until you finished it. Totally. Well, it's like an open file in your brain that just like keeps going like, check me, check me, check me, until you do it. That's such a good way, an open file in your brain, right? And And it's over there like, like spewing crap from it and you can't not pay attention to it. It's like what, it's like a fire that you haven't extinguished yet. You can see it off in the distance. And the second, the second is called the question behavior effect, which is if I ask you a series of questions in the morning about a particular type of behavior, you are way more willing or way more likely to engage in that behavior later on in the day. And you won't be aware of it. I primed your brain to look for it. So in other words, Hey, What's the most generous thing you've ever witnessed? Who's the most generous person you've ever seen? What's the most generous thing that you've personally done? If I ask you that over cornflakes in the morning, you are way more likely to engage in generous behavior later in the day and you won't even be aware of it. And so if questions are a powerful driver of human behavior and unfinished tasks cause psychic discomfort until they are completed, what we do with the day one approach is we harness the power the motivating power of the unanswered question. You stick, what have I done to recognize someone else's leadership into your brain as an expectation during the day? That question is crafted in such a way that you can't answer it without doing something. It's not a yes, no question. It's what did I do? And so your brain will always be looking for an opportunity to answer it, even when you're not aware. And the example I like to use to demonstrate the idea that your brain works on things without your conscious awareness yeah. Is at some point, everyone listening to this has been out with friends, particularly those of us old enough to remember pre-Google on your phone. And you're trying to remember the name of an actor or an actress. Mm. And you can't. And then you say to yourself, I'm not going to Google it. I'm not Googling this. I will remember it. And then you go home and you forget about it. Yeah. But sometime in the next 36 hours, when you're driving or you're in the That's shower, right. it pops into your head. Your brain was on it the whole time. The whole time it was hammering away at that question subconsciously. And so when you stick those six questions that I have into my brain in the morning, and I have an expectation every single day that I want to answer them when I, it doesn't change who I am and it doesn't change what I value, but what it does do is it makes me so much more hyper aware of how many opportunities to answer them. And when an opportunity presents itself, I don't miss it because my brain goes, Hey, 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 
recognize her leadership. Hey, Tell her right now. Yes. Yeah, because it's like, I'm annoyed by the fact that I haven't answered that question. I'm not aware of that annoyance. And so that's the day one process is this is where you start. You, you focus on it daily. And, and what you do is you make sure the questions aren't pointless questions. They're tied very closely to your identity. And the process individually. The person, the core of who you want to be. And then it's like, and I love that you're saying doing this in the morning because I truly believe whatever you do in the morning sets your tone for the day, right? And so if you're asking yourself, you're priming your brain, you're delivering this information to yourself and you're setting the intention to be your best self first thing in the morning with these questions, you're going throughout the day trying to grasp the answers and to also, it's like your own little hunger game. So it turns into like this gamification for yourself. You're like, I have to answer at least half of these to be able to go tomorrow. Like, otherwise I don't deserve tomorrow kind of a thing. Like, right. And it's like, yeah. And, and it's nicely that it's flexible, right? Like it's yeah. not ultra specific. And so, what's interesting is if anybody who's ever gotten a Fitbit knows, mm, like you just say, you get obsessed with passing the leadership test totally. the same way. It, once you put a Fitbit on, you become obsessed with getting your steps every yeah. day. Like, I will get my 10,000 steps. You're like sitting in your chair, just like trying to get more steps. People are like, exactly. And, and, and it's based to. on, it's based on that idea. So yeah. that's it. And, and the whole concept is on a personal level, everybody has a different set of values and they don't actually know what they are. So uh, as part of the day one process, you go through a series of exercises to identify what those values are. You then have to define them because the word integrity means jack all until you specifically say what behaviors are consistent with it. Yes. And then it helps people create your own personalized, customized leadership test. Maybe it has six questions. Maybe it has four, maybe it has two. It doesn't matter. But the only way that you stay committed to the leadership test is if it's your test. And that's the whole idea. And what I want people to realize is I that- it. And it's your test look, as adults, it has to be our own idea too, right? And so like, if it became your own questions, your own leadership test, you're more, you're gonna do it anyways. You're more inclined to wanna participate in it because it's you, it's your idea, like versus but, someone else. And then the last big step is you've got to allow yourselves to understand that when you do that, it's leadership. It's not like little, it's not self-improvement. It is self-improvement, but it's not like, it's not something separate from leadership. Oh, this is personal development so I can be a leader. Yeah. Personal development is leadership. Closing yeah. the gap between who you want to be and how you're behaving is leadership. Now, it's a different form of leadership than being the head of a company, but it's not lesser than. And I think that the reason this doesn't get taught is because individuals who have reached that level of power don't like the idea that, oh, well, if we call everybody le leaders, if we recognize that every, there is a form of leadership to which everyone can and should aspire, all the money, all the effort, all the compromise of your values that you put in to become this, have this title, to have this prestige, isn't as valuable anymore. Mm -hmm. And the people, one thing we see all around the world is that people who have achieved power will go to great lengths to keep that power from being undermined. And yes. if you sacrificed, honestly, if you give up a piece of your soul for your money and for your titles, you become incredibly defensive of your money and your titles because of what you gave up to get them. Mm -hmm. And I think that's so important is to realize that when your leadership doesn't involve compromising a piece of who you are when the things that you achieve didn't involve cutting out a piece of your soul you are not as protective of them you are more flexible and you celebrate them a little bit more and you're far more willing to recognize and share your power and your impact with other people 
I'm not saying everyone can be a CEO. I'm not saying that everyone has the skills or the specific opportunities necessary to become the head of a company, but I am saying there is a form of leadership to which we all can and should aspire. It is not less valuable, it is not less than, and it is not less than because fewer pe- like because there's not a small group of people that do it. If you identify who you wanna be every day, if you have a plan to actually execute it, and you do, you are a leader, and in the process, you probably matter a hell of a lot more than the giants we put on a pedestal do on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. Donald Trump doesn't matter to most people. Obviously, he's front and center. Jeff Bezos doesn't matter to most people the way that you can matter to the people around you every day. You have a bigger impact on more people than the people you put on a pedestal. Celebrate that, recognize it, take it seriously, and have a plan to do it more frequently. That's leadership, and that's ultimately what I want people to believe. And my way of trying to do it is I try to teach a process on how. And I like to talk when I do it, which is why I just realized like, oh my gosh, I've been bothering your listeners for like an hour and 15 minutes now. Um, It's beautiful and it's so amazing and you're not bothering anybody ever. So don't ever say that. You're like teaching all these amazing skills and it's like the perfect concept. And it's just, it's so beautiful. And I love how you talk about how the brain works with it and how you can ask yourself and how it's like a challenge for yourself. And you can turn it into like a game for yourself too. And it's that. It's like every day, every single person has the exact same opportunity to start fresh, take it day by day, and be the leader that you want to be for the day. And leadership isn't a title. Leadership isn't any of that. It's just being you. And like you said, like making an impact. And like, who did you get inspired for today? How did you have courage? Like all these things. And when you ask yourself these questions, it really makes you show up in the world as your best self. And that helps you be your best. And that is leadership because then you're also giving other people permission to do the same. And when you're pushing yourself to be your best, you're inspiring everybody else around you to want to do the same thing without even realizing it. And you're inspiring yourself for the next day to, to keep doing it. You know, it's just like, and and I think, I think what a really important thing that I have to recognize too is that the, this type of leadership, this sort of identifying like the impact you want to have every day and, and doing it through whatever your reality is, doesn't require a certain level of uh, age, education, no. uh, financial resources. But I do think that we have to recognize, especially me as a straight white guy, titles, power, and influence do require privilege. Mm-hmm. Like I want to talk about a leadership that is applicable to everyone regardless of what their background is or how much money they have or what kind of educational opportunities were made available to them because the traditional leadership roles that we have been taught to celebrate have historically not been easily accessible by huge portions of the population they have required a certain level of money they have required a certain level of education they have required a certain level of respect that is denied to huge members of society that have been denied to women that have been denied to minorities that have been denied to individuals of different uh, cultural and gender and religious affiliations the type of leadership that we have been taught to celebrate has been most easily accessible to straight white men and ultimately i want to talk about a form of leadership that is most of the things that are celebrated in society have been more easily accessed by straight white men and still are. And leadership is one of the biggest ones of those. And yeah, you can point to black leaders or women leaders and say, no, that's not true. Yeah, but you got to look for those leaders. You don't have to look very far to stumble over a straight white dude in charge of something. 
Right. I want to talk about a form of leadership that is not dependent on privilege. Mm -hmm. And that to me is why I'm so excited to talk about this work. And if you read the book, the leaders that talk to me are cab drivers and a seven-year-old girl and a, a janitor. This is a form of leadership to which we all can and should aspire. And yeah. as part of recognizing that leadership, we should also recognize that not only do you not need positions and titles to be a leader, we got to also start to do something about the fact that titles and power and leadership of that form has been kept from large portions of our society. Uh, and it's been done insidiously and quietly and in some cases done accidentally. So mm -hmm. I think most people do it accidentally and a small group of people have done it intentionally. And so I think the bigger group of us, who many of us, particularly for those straight white men out there are listening, uh, we have been a part of that, even though we didn't mean to be. And we cannot make up for, like we can't change the fact that we've been a part of that system for this long, but we can stop being unaware of that and trying to always keep it front of our mind from here on forward. So that's just something I like to make very clear. This is a type of leadership that isn't dependent on privilege, but we also have to recognize the type that we've been taught to celebrate is dependent on privilege. And we should start to try to unpack that a little. I love that. So amazing. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. <laughs> yes, of course. You're just like so brilliant. And you just drop like all these wisdom, like truth bombs. And you're just like so genuine and authentic. And you can just tell us just like from within you. And you're just like talking. So I truly like this has been such a gift for me. I took like 17 pages of notes right now. And it's just like so awesome. You just are so amazing. How can my listeners get your book? Like what's the best way they can reach out to you? What's the best way for them to follow you and get like all of your wisdom because you're just amazing and you motivate me and you teach me so much. And like, they all need to do the same thing too. That is, thank you very much. Well, I love uh, getting people's feedback uh, because I always learn things from them. I, I hope you heard me earlier. The things that you asked made me just rethink and come up with new things. So there's a power to uh, I love it when people connect because I always learn something from questions or comments or feedback. Uh, and so if you're really looking to connect, it's drewdudley.com, D-R-E-W-D-U-D-L-E-Y.com. And that's where a lot of the various TED Talks that I've done are housed. It's where my online program, if you prefer, to, if you want to go through the process and you aren't really a reader, you could do it all online interactive. And of course the book, there is a link to the book there. Uh, as well. And it is available in fine bookstores everywhere and sketchy bookstores in several places. <laughs> yes, for the sketchy bookstores. I love it. And I just think you're just so awesome. I truly like really appreciate you just taking the time for this. Like, and for those listening, we talked about like courage and grit and resiliency and all that. And this is my ninth podcast that I've done. And it took courage for me to reach out to Drew. So I was like, this guy's like amazing. He's like a baller. I'm just this just this girl sitting in my kitchen doing a podcast and all it was was I tried and he freaks and he's like yeah let's go for it girl like let's do it so it's like don't ever tell yourself you can't do something or that you're just a girl in the kitchen or whatever it may be like just go for it try it and like look what could happen and look at this beautiful like awesome gift and we just like jammed out I learned all these things like you just said I helped teach you something that just blessed me so like I feel like I'm on cloud nine. So it's just like, just go for it, people. Just do it, try it, make it happen. Like life's a gift. You just got to enjoy it. You know, it's just beautiful. I've never in my entire 42 year old life been called a baller. Yeah. Uh, and so <laughs> I, 
You just made my day here. Uh, oh, and by the way, folks, if you're, if you're looking for me on social media anywhere, because I love Instagram now. Yes. Uh, well, because Instagram, there's no political fights. Right. And it's just like people only post stuff that makes them happy. Like, okay. here's my dessert. Here's my dog. You know, here is my view of the beach. And there's so it's <laughs> uh, but on Twitter and Facebook and all of them, it's at day one Drew, D-A-Y-O-N-E-D-R-E-W. And uh, most of the way I interact with the world is now through there. And Instagram is my favorite. And that's where you will find not only leadership ideas, but silly ass adventures. Yeah. And uh, honestly, the search for the world's greatest cheeseburger. Oh, I'm with you on that. So please, when you find it, you just tell me. I'm all about that life. <laughs> hey, and, if, and anyone, follow me. And if you know where the world, like, tell me the, I know this is weird on this podcast at this point, but no. go follow me on Instagram. And yes. send me a message telling me the absolute best cheeseburger in your town because I get to travel the world. And if it turns out to be that awesome, I will give you love, a shout out, and a free book Ooh. if you DM me with the absolute best cheeseburger in your city or town, wherever you yes. are. When I go there, if it turns out to be awesome, I will send you a free book. Boom. I love this idea. Are you ever coming to Salt Lake, Utah? Because I know of an amazing cheeseburger here. It's so bomb. At Lucky Thursday. Really? Yes, and it has garlic fries. I'm sure. I hope you're a fan of garlic fries, because they're just well. Uh, I was 300 pounds, so I was a fan of all fries. Uh, but but now I, I walk three and a half hours a day, yeah, and yeah. so I, I allow myself to to keep checking out the burgers. But Salt Lake City, uh, I love it there. It's such a beautiful place. So you you let me know what that is, and uh, yeah, obviously yeah. until they sponsor your podcast, don't say it on the air. You make them <laughs> earn that. You make them earn that, young lady. Okay, done. Consider it done. I won't ever do that again. I'll be like, there is a said place that once they sponsor me, I will let you know where it's at. Perfect. But you're so amazing. I'll link all of your stuff so all my listeners can see it. I'll also post it on my Instagram. Again, thank you just for blessing me with your time. I know how valuable it is and just like jamming out with me. You're amazing. I am going to make you a shirt that says you're the bomb.com. If you want me to add a bomb.com baller on it and like send it to you so it's all the things. I got, I got you, but I will definitely send you a cool little package. So thank you so much for being you and just like for knowing who you are and shining for all of us to learn from you and being vulnerable enough to just like share your story of everything. I really, truly appreciate you. So thank you so, so much. Well, thank you so much for having me and for putting a smile on my face. Cause that, that is leadership. And uh, you really, you really uh, kicked, knocked it out of the park today for me. So thank you. Bless you. Thank you so much. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. I appreciate you guys for listening to Just Talking with me and Drew Dudley. Go Jays. Boom.